Thank you, Georgie, and good morning, everybody. Well, we're here with the first day of our new government, and we have had the selection last night of our new Prime Minister, insert name here. <laughs> Sorry, I must have written this a bit earlier in the week, and I didn't know how things were going to come out last night, so I didn't put it in my script. I'm joking, of course. Um, but in fact, the idea that we can kind of insert name here uh, of our leader, it's an interesting idea. There is a, in our country, there's a role that someone can fill, someone who is the chosen leader, the most significant authority figure in Australia. And we want someone to fill that role, someone hopefully who's qualified and gifted and who has the right character and leadership skills to be what we're hoping them to be. And the particular Prime Minister that we end up with is judged against whether he or she fulfills that hope. And I think the desire that we have, this hope for this person, might help us to understand more about this section of Luke that we're looking at today. Uh, in the last few weeks in our series on Luke, we've considered the story of Jesus and his career, as we've seen Jesus launch himself out as a teacher of the Jewish people and begun to show his wisdom to the people, his understanding of God and his power to heal people and set them free. And now in this section, we come back to some of the earlier questions, though, and the issues that were raised in the Gospel of Luke at the beginning. And we're going to revisit the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist that starts the Gospel. Now, as you might remember from earlier sermons on that topic, the big questions so far in Luke that have been brought up are, two, are twofold. So firstly, the question is, what is the Gospel? And secondly, who is the Messiah? So there's these two big questions that the story of Luke answers. And the answer to the first question, if we've seen, I think hopefully repeatedly referenced, is that the gospel, that the gospel of Luke is talking about, is a good news, that's what the word gospel means, a good news message about the kingdom of God entering into our world in a new and powerful way. So the kingdom of God is the living and the transforming presence of God's spirit in us that brings healing, freedom, forgiveness and justice wherever God's spirit is present. That is the kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, this kingdom is now available and accessible to everyone who has faith in him. So that's the first question, what is the gospel, which is being answered very clearly and progressively through Luke. The second question is, well, who is the Messiah? And this is a particular question at the time, but it has resonance for us. Because the Messiah is the Jewish name for the, for the coming of an anointed, that's what Messiah means, an anointed leader from God, someone who would be filled with God's spirit, who would lead his people into the experience of God's kingdom. So for the Jewish people of the time, the Messiah was the hoped-for per person. And they were just waiting to insert name here into that. Who is it going to be? And so that's the context, then, of the question that John the Baptist gives to Jesus in this passage. After John's disciples come and tell him everything that Jesus has been doing and saying. So they go to him and ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So the one who is to come that they're looking for is the Messiah. 
And John is asking him, well, based on what we've seen, we think you might be the Messiah. Is that true? Now, Jesus' answer, which I always enjoy, like a lot of Jesus' statements, is not a direct response to the question. I'm not sure that Jesus answers a direct question in the entire gospel story. Please point me out if he does. Um, So he doesn't give a yes or no, but what he tells them is that they need to read the signs of his ministry and draw an appropriate conclusion from what they've seen. So he says, look, what have you seen? Evil spirits have been cast out of people. Sick people have been cured. Blind people now see. Deaf people hear. The dead have been raised. And the good news is that the kingdom has been proclaimed to poor people. You've seen all these things. It's obvious then what more could possibly happen to demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come near and that the Messiah is here. So, of course, the answer is yes. Jesus is the one who is to come. You can insert his name into that blank space where the Messiah is. And so the question in the second half of our reading then is, well, what are people going to do then in response to this reality? He is the one to come. How do you react when the Messiah actually comes and is right in front of you? It's one thing to hope that they're going to come, but what happens when they turn up? When God is actually doing things around you, how do you respond when the kingdom of God is actually present in your life? When God's changing the world, what do you do about it? Jesus does this then by confronting the crowd who are listening to them, firstly about their response to John the Baptist. On the whole, it seems clear the Jewish people had a very positive response to John because he was for them a model of a spiritual man and a prophet. He was not concerned with material things. He was a man of prayer, a man of holiness. So people came to, be, to hear him in the desert where he preached and to be baptised by him to show their repentance and their desire for God. If he was an ordinary person, they would not have done that. So Jesus says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. John says, Jesus says, John is a great man. He was a spiritual man. And even today, I think we would recognise someone like John as someone special. You know, we might go to a well-dressed rich man's seminar to learn about getting wealthy or managing our money, but hopefully we wouldn't go there to learn much about God. We would go to someone like John. To do that, you need to go to a prophet, the real deal. But according to Jesus, yes, John was a great prophet and more than a prophet, but that's not the end of the road. John was, in the end, just a messenger pointing to people, people to the one who was to come. He was preparing people to receive the Messiah and to receive the kingdom of God into their lives for themselves. And once that happened, John's significance fades away. Something greater than him has arrived. Something that's available not just to particular very holy people like John, but everyone who believes. So he says, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And he says in verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So what is Jesus really saying here to the crowd then and to us today? Well, I think if we break it down, what he's saying is that Responding to God appropriately is a journey of two, at least two steps that we need to take. So the first step 
is symbolised by John the Baptist. That is, people coming to recognise their need for God. The need they have for healing, the need for forgiveness, and to actually move towards that in repentance and hope, as those who came to be baptised by John did. That's why they came to the wilderness to see him, because they knew that they needed something. But that first step is just a preparation. He said there is more than that. The second step in our lives is to move into the kingdom itself, the realm of the Messiah, and actually experience God for ourselves, to actually be forgiven, to truly be healed, to be changed, to accept the God's, God's spirit really into our lives. That's what Jesus offers and you can see this in what the people say here and what Jesus goes on to say further. This is what he's offering. Because he says, look, the normal and humble people, they understand what he's saying because they've already taken that first step. They understand about the kingdom because they've already come to John and what he had to offer. But those who haven't even done that have no way of coming closer to the kingdom. They don't see it at all. So in verses 29 to 30, Luke says, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they hadn't been baptised by John. And so the Pharisees and the experts in the law have not yet acknowledged that first step that they need something from God. They need forgiveness. They need to be healed. They haven't even acknowledged that. So how can they see the kingdom? If they can't do that, there's no way then they're going to accept what Jesus has to offer and embrace the gospel of the kingdom of God. Instead, what they're going to do is find good reasons not to change. And that's what Jesus means, I think, by this last section, which is a bit perhaps obscure to us, when he says, Jesus went on to say, to what then... Can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the, ta the, the leaders of the people, the Pharisees and the teachers, they're like bored children sitting in the street. They just want to cause trouble. They're not happy with anything that you do. They just want to make your life difficult. So you can't be fun enough. You can't be sad enough or serious enough to satisfy them. For the Pharisees, you know, John the Baptist was too weird. He was too extreme. He was too dedicated to holiness, too severe in his repentance. Easy to, so it's easy to say, oh, he's wrong. He must have a demon in him. We shouldn't listen to him. No respectable religious person would behave like that. He can't be the prophet. On the other hand, oh, well, Jesus, oh, he's too relaxed. He's too inclusive and gentle towards sinners. He's too loose with keeping the law. He's a party-goer. He's not a serious religious leader. So don't worry about him. You can't win either way. It's either too much or too little. Because, of course, the point is not to see what's going on, not to see the truth. To, but the point is to avoid confronting the need that they have for, the God, for God and for his kingdom. And just say, well, okay, there's all these good reasons why I don't have to change. Do you recognise yourself at all in that kind of description? I do. There's always good reasons why I don't have to change. Someone's too weird or someone's too difficult or, or different. 
How many reasons can we come up with for not listening to what Jesus says and not doing what he says? But those who do pay attention are wise, though, Jesus says. Wise people are those who see what's going on and do the right thing. But wisdom is proved right by her children, he says, compared to those who don't listen. Wisdom is proved right by her children. The wise people are those like the tax collectors and the normal people of the, of the time who don't make excuses for why they can't enter the kingdom but actually do it. They know they need God, they repent and they change their lives and they find the kingdom of God and they live in it. So it's always not hard for us to understand an application for us today as we listen to this. So the question for us is, do we want to see, are we ready to see the Messiah to see God at work in our world and in our own lives? Are we prepared for that? If yes, there are two steps to take. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that this is what we want and this is what we need. And that's a hard step to take because, as John the Baptist shows, it means stepping back a bit from being immersed in the world that ignores the spiritual needs that we have and focuses only on external things like money and success and power. And that's how we know, by the way, that no matter who the Prime Minister of Australia is and however many good things they do, they will never be the Messiah. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. It's okay. The concerns that they have of the, of the things of the world, not of the kingdom of God, and that's as it should be, but they never really can offer the kingdom. We need to look elsewhere for our salvation. So that's the first step we need to take. We need to say, I need this. I actually am looking for what God has to offer. I, I recognise I lack. The second step is a, also a hard step, but for a different reason, because the, this is the step of accepting Jesus and entering into the kingdom of God and experiencing it. And that step is hard because it's not about letting go of external things, and, um, but it's actually about willing to receive something from God. It's possible to stop at John, at John the Baptist, to stop at the level of letting go and to become a very highbrow, very spiritual person, very self-disciplined, very holy. But, as Jesus said, even this person, the greatest spiritual guru of all time, is less than the least of member of the kingdom of God. There's much more to, be, more to be had than that. So we need to be willing to acknowledge that it's not just what we do, but we need to receive grace from God. We need to for receive forgiveness. We need to receive life. We need to receive healing. And these are things, and I, this sort of, the more I look at this gospel, the more I feel this, these things are things that we can never earn and we don't ever need to earn. That's what grace means. And that's difficult. Because it means in the end we need to give up not just our wealth or ambition, but also our pride and even our spirituality sometimes. And to join up with tax collectors and humble people who were willing to say that, yes, this is who we're waiting for. Jesus is the one who is to come. We're ready to receive the kingdom from him. So I believe that if we're willing to do that, as Jesus says, we will be proved right and wise in the end. But, as he says also, the choice is one for all of us to consider, to take for ourselves. Are we going to receive and welcome the Messiah into our lives? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. 
for the preparation that you've made in the hearts of so many people of a desire and recognition of our need for God. We pray that for those of us who struggle to feel this desire, that you would stir it up within us today, our sense of our need for you. And we pray that coming to you in repentance and change of heart, we would receive the kingdom that you have to offer. We pray that the Spirit would move powerfully among our people, that we would know that we are forgiven, that we have your life. We would know your power, your joy and freedom. I pray that this grace that we can never earn would be poured out upon us in abundance. We pray that we would know what you want us to do as members of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.